Jeanette's TV. I'm at the Elevate Tech Conference in Toronto. And what a conference this is. Four days of incredible learning, all kinds of very high influencers in the digital and tech industries, from fashion to food and everything in between. Investments, health. We have so much great coverage coming at you. Please stay with us. Now, I love the fact that we're talking about moonshots. I love big ideas, bold bets, inspiring action, collective challenges. Now, I've actually been a fan of the original Moonshot for quite some time. And by that, I actually mean going to the moon. Like a lot of kids, I was obsessed with the space program. I was the kid with a collection of mission patches and the one who got our family to detour to Cape Canaveral on a trip to Disney World. That was my magic kingdom. And still, as an adult, the lunar voyage inspires me. Now, not just the journey, but the spirit that got us there. The original moonshot was driven by competition, but it was more than that. We were driven by curiosity, ambition, daring, imagination. As President Kennedy said in his famous speech on the moon mission at Rice University, humanity, in its quest for knowledge and progress, is determined and cannot be deterred. Now, of course, when I think about Apollo, I also think about what came next, or rather, what didn't. After Apollo 11, we tried to land on the moon seven times. We made it six times. But after 1972, we never tried again. Now, we've sent robots, probes, and satellites to the moon and further, but no human has been beyond near-Earth orbit in over 47 years. So I think it's fair to ask, why not? Now, maybe it was the cost. As Commander Chris Hadfield said earlier, maybe it was the fact there were more pressing needs back on Earth. Or maybe it was the politics. The space race had a finish line, and the moon was it. Now, what I do know is this. Public enthusiasm for space travel faded. We all watched as space became a more dangerous place. I actually remember when the Strategic Missile Defense Initiative threatened to bring nuclear arms race into outer space. And then, accidents and disasters called into question the entire enterprise. From that time until recently, it's been hard to say if we should think of something or a space as something mundane or something dangerous, a waste of resources or a critical next step for humanity. Now, I don't say this to disparage space programs. I really don't. And after watching Chris Hadfield, I really, really don't. But I actually think this habituation process is kind of normal. Humans are adaptable. We get used to new technologies fairly quickly. We find them exciting, but then just as quickly, we find them boring. For any new tech, no matter how amazing, the awe wears off. And in its place comes a fair deal of apathy, which in turn drives disbelief and even distrust. 
If you look back at history, you'll see this again and again with tech. Think about it. It happened with new forms of transportation, trains, cars, airplanes. And it's happened with almost every new form of communication. The telegraph, telephone, movies, radio, television. Each of these things were blamed for the ills and evils of a changing society. Now, after the shine wears off, and it always wears off, it does take society some time to figure out what we want from these new technologies. What do we want to throw away? What do we want to keep? So not only is this the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, it's also the 50th anniversary of another event from 1969 that would forever change our world and the way we relate to one another. On October 29th, 1969, 10.30 p.m. Pacific time, two computer scientists from UCLA attempted for the first time ever to log on to another computer 350 miles away at the Stanford Research Institute over a prototype communications network called ARPANET. They got through the first two letters of login, L-O, before the system crashed. And thus, the internet was born with low, as in, lo and behold, 50 years ago next month. Now, everything that defines our world today can be traced back to that moment. Low, all the connections made, messages sent, families united. Low, all the global commerce, on-demand supply chains, disrupted industries. Low, video chats, filters, emojis, low. All of you in this room today, every post on social media, every hashtag, low. Everything. And yet, it feels lately that after a period of real enthusiasm for everything online, we've moved beyond the moon landing phase to this time where the value of the internet and the online world is much in question and its future in doubt. And I wonder if 50 years from now, we won't have seen the benefits of connectivity go any further than they have. We won't have gone online any further than we have now. Social media, in particular, has taken a lot of heat. And this antipathy is not without its reasons. In just the last few years alone, we've seen the internet play host to election interference by havoc-minded hostile actors, terrorist content, misinformation, and cyberbullying all of which have had an uncertain outcome on everyone's mental health. Now, looking back over the past few years from somebody inside a tech company, I do think it's fair to say we did not see all of this coming. Whether that's because we were too myopic or too optimistic, I'm not sure. Maybe it was a little bit of both. We focused for years on building tools that allowed people to connect with one another. Now, we often measure our impact by counting countable things, like user stats. But we have no metrics for measuring how many families were reunited, how many friendships kept alive, how many people were inspired to start a business. We hired some of the most talented engineers in the world and asked them to create new ways for people to feel closer to one another. And we continue to do that through augmented and virtual realities as we speak. 
But it's also true that with regard to Facebook specifically, there were times we were too slow to act, too slow to appreciate the impact of misinformation or the risks of third-party data misuse. We're a global company with a global footprint, which means we have a global responsibility to ensure the systems we design don't unintentionally produce negative outcomes that we haven't anticipated. On a fundamental level, we recognize it's not just enough to connect people. We need to make sure those connections are positive. It's not just enough to give people a voice. We need to make sure it isn't used to harm others. And it's not just enough to give people control over their own information. We need to make sure their information is protected. We are on the front lines addressing the critical issues facing the future of the internet. Whether by action or inaction, some of that is our own doing, and we recognize and accept that, just as we recognize and accept it's our responsibility to address the issues. But we can't do it alone, because the issues we face are bigger than Facebook. The challenges before us are not ours alone. They are industry-wide and require industry-wide solutions. It's going to take all of us. Now, I'm standing here, standing on this stage, talking with all of you today, because I want you to know some of what we're doing to protect the future of the internet. And perhaps we can still do that with curiosity, ambition, daring, imagination. I'd like to go over a few ways we're working on data privacy, elections integrity, and mental health, and then offer up some new ways in which we're working to pave a path forward for all of us. But let's start with data privacy. As I said before, we began by shifting our understanding of responsibility from a neutral to an active position. We've aggressively grown the size of our teams working on data and security, and let me put that in perspective. We now have over 30,000 people working to address the issue. We've worked to give people more control, including control of their data. Last year, we rolled out GDPR-style capabilities around the world and we're rolling out new tools that make it easier for people to manage and access their own personal information. But importantly, we've become more transparent. People should understand how we think about privacy and have the ability to hold us accountable. Now, another topic that's deeply personal to me is mental health and well-being. I have three kids, 16-year-old, 12-year-old, and a 10-year-old. And I am deeply concerned about the impact of tech and social media on their health and that of their generation. With cyberbullying in particular, which has unfortunately hit my home, we want to lead the industry in this fight. We've built out extensive anti-bullying tools on Facebook and Instagram. We use AI to flag harmful comments before they're posted. And we've launched a bullying prevention hub for teens, adults, and educators that we launched in partnership with the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. Thank you. And since we're less than a month away from the federal election, let's talk a little bit about what we're doing to protect our elections. So we began this journey two years ago with a Canadian Elections Integrity Initiative, which is really a suite of election-related efforts, and we continue to make investments in those areas. We're tackling the spread of misinformation 
by hiring third-party fact-checkers to review and rate the accuracy of content on Facebook, and we're making it easier for people to see more information about their ads see they're seeing through our ads library. Look, we've been on our back foot, but we're now leading the pack, learning from elections around the world, yet maintaining a distinctly Canadian lens. So, we may not have gone back to the moon after 1972, but that's not to say there was no progress in space. It just looked different. We've just heard from one of the pioneers of human space travel, and now I'm going to add rock star to that, Commander Chris Hadfield. There was the shuttle, the Mir, the International Space Station. There have been countless rovers and probes that we've sent into space on our behalf, and now private companies are pushing the boundaries, pushing the envelope, launching new rockets, and finding new ways for us to go deeper into space and even Mars. I think it's fair to say we're in the next era of space exploration. As for tech itself, I remain an optimist. And I do believe there will be a next era of the internet. The World Economic Forum calls this moment we're living in the fourth industrial revolution. First was water and steam, second electricity, third IT, and the fourth is the revolution of all three made possible by AI, robotics, 3D printing, nanotech, biotech, and quantum computing. And they make the point. Like the Industrial Revolution, we need to be prepared for the impact of technology on society. Technology is a tool. It's a bigger and better hammer. Now what we choose to build with that hammer is up to us. We didn't know it at the time, but 15 years ago, Facebook changed the world. And when I think about our next moonshots, it's clear to me our eyes are to the sky, like they were 15 years ago, and we're still focused on people and on helping build community. We're reaching for significance, not success, by putting people first, empowering people, not us, nor anyone else. In fact, I would argue we're really just beginning to see the benefits of greater global connectivity. When you consider the 2.7 billion people who connect across our family of apps, what we're really seeing is people's voices carry with greater reach and resonance than ever before. This has also created an unprecedented opportunity for entrepreneurs and small businesses to drive sustainable growth for both their business and local economies, which is one of the pillars of the United Nations Economic Sustainable Goals. Look, it used to be big businesses were the only ones to benefit from scale. But now, for the first time in history, technology has enabled small businesses to meaningfully compete with larger brands on a much more level playing field. So whether you're an entrepreneur in South Korea, like Sun Kwang Wan, a mom of three who built her business from the ground up entirely on Instagram, now employing over 675 people, most of which who are women, or you're a multi-generational small business in Oshawa looking to export internationally for the first time through Facebook, you have the power to pursue your goals in a way that simply did not exist before. At its core, there's no better way to change the economic landscape of a family or of a community 
than by giving somebody an income. So yes, this kind of economy where small businesses, the backbone of local economies can thrive alongside the big players, is in the end better for everyone. As we know, a diverse economy is a stronger economy, is a more resilient economy. And speaking of creating a more level playing field, of the 7 billion people on Earth today, 1.7 billion are still unbanked and simply cannot be left behind. Even for many of those that do have access to financial systems, remittances and payments are often both slow and cripplingly expensive. We're addressing this global challenge head on, along with 27 other members of the Libra Association, which is made up of businesses, nonprofits, and academic institutions from around the world. Together, we're working to build Libra, a simple global currency and financial infrastructure that is mobile, stable, fast, scalable, and secure. With a commitment to consumer privacy and protection, we're also working to build a digital wallet called Calibra, which we hope will increase access to these new currencies. Ultimately, we believe these opportunities have the power to unlock billions of dollars in economic growth in parts of the world where it's needed most. So I have one final thought. It's not very well known today, but in 1963, President Kennedy floated the idea of a joint moon landing with the Americans and Russians working together. Okay, so we know that never happened, but it is fascinating to wonder, what if it had? What if the space race wasn't a race at all? Perhaps there would have been no finish line. As he stepped onto the lunar module for the last time, Gene Cernan, the last person to walk on the moon, said a few words which act as a corollary to Neil Armstrong's. He said, we leave as we came, and God willing, we shall return with peace and hope for all mankind. Now, his words remind me that as the tech industry continues to build the tools and the platforms that empower people around the world to communicate, to participate in commerce, to laugh with friends, to talk with loved ones, we're going to need to do this together for all humankind. Because the issues we face are the issues we all face in this room and outside it. They're bigger than any one company or industry or even country. They're not a reason to slow down or halt innovation, but they are a collective call to action to build a better future for everyone, for my kids and for yours. And perhaps one day we can say, low, global connectivity, low, thriving democracies, low, financial inclusion, low, the internet for all humankind. Thank you. Thanks for being with us today on Jeanette's TV. I'm your host, Jeanette Burke, signing off. Please remember to like, comment, and share all our posts with your family and friends. You will find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Pinterest, Vimeo, YouTube, you name it, we're there. Hashtag Jeanette's TV. And until next time, 
continue to be fabulous.